Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Hey, um, good morning. I'd like to welcome every single one of you this morning. And I want to say a special thank you to everybody who's been serving so well, so much lately. There's so many people that serve in invisible ways, pay, pay, ways you can't see. But one of the really visible ways lately is all the stuff that's been done around this place. We need some more help, by the way. There's some ways to sign up. Uh, but man, I just want to say thank you to everybody who's been working on the building, taking down the wasp trap, I mean the playground, and all the other wonderful things that have happened recently. At the top of every one of those lists is always John Machino and Frank Hill, and we want to always thank them especially, but it's a long list, and I'd like you to just give everybody who's serving, visible or not, give them a hand. I really appreciate what everybody's doing. This, uh, this series that we're wrapping up uh, in the next couple weeks, uh, it's called Ultimate Authority, Therefore. And we've tracked the story of Jesus and how we're part of that story. We've looked at several different things. The last two weeks, we've looked at how God is calling us to be more strategic than ever in our outreach. I believe that's just something he wants for every church everywhere, not just Morrison Hill. But we've got, as the last days get closer and closer, as we get more technology and more opportunities to reach literally every people group in the earth, it's so important that we actually do that and that we make sure that we do that intentionally, that we intentionally do that. So we've looked at that a lot the last two weeks. This morning, we're looking at another more kind of close to home part. It's actually a very individual part that also ties in with us as a congregation and that is our spiritual growth we really believe that uh, this is probably closest to the heart of God in the midst of all of these things and I'd like to share that with you this morning I'm pretty sure this is not brand new information to you but I hope that this reminder and maybe some new new perspectives or something will help all of us kickstart kind of reboot a little bit and keep going harder than ever so let's just jump right into it um, a lot of times I think we think that Jesus is like Superman, and that's a really big mistake. Uh, Superman is powerful. That's cool. He's, he's also not real. So that's one, big, that's one big thing that I think people need to know. We can't make up Jesus in our own image. We can't reimagine him as they've reimagined Superman in various ways over the years. Jesus is who he is. We have to match that. We have to constantly be trying to figure out who he is. But another big difference is this. Superman, kind of in all of his stories, his, idea, his whole goal is just to kind of keep people from getting hurt. He just doesn't want anybody to die or whatever. And he has no agenda for them or in a relationship with them on the other side of saving them. In this scene from the, the movie back in the day, he's, he's just saving everybody on a train. And then he kind of goes, carry on, citizens. And that's it. He doesn't want to be their friend. He doesn't need to know their name. He has no agenda, no hope for what they're going to do with the rest of their life that he just gave back to them. It's just like, no, I'm just doing my thing. This is me. This is what I like. I'm powerful and I like saving people. And Jesus is powerful, and he does like saving people, but if that's our view of Jesus, we're missing probably most of what really makes Jesus Jesus, what's really deepest in his heart. And in the same way, being saved, just that, that concept, that, that term that we use so often, the idea of being saved is so much bigger, so much deeper than most of us ever think about. Because it's not, Jesus' big goal is not just to keep us from going to hell, or he definitely never promises that we'll never suffer in this life, 
even though he does step in in miraculous ways many times. But what he wants is so much bigger than that. And Jesus also really does have a lot of hopes and dreams for us on the other side of salvation. Jesus' big goal was that we become completely different people. That salvation is not just something that happens once and then our life just keeps on going like as if it never happened, just we go somewhere different when we die. Salvation is something that is a lifelong thing in the Bible. And we're going to explore exactly what part we play in that this morning. First, let's read this words from Jesus himself, Matthew 7, 21. He makes it very clear when he says this. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Let's read that one more time. Think about these words as you say them. This is powerful and a little bit scary. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Peter was not contradicting this when he said in Acts 2.21, go ahead and read this one with me if you will. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not a contradiction, it's just it's two, two sides of the same thing. See, Peter, in that, when he said what he said in Acts 2.21, he was in the middle of the first real Christian sermon there ever was. The first time someone had presented that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and had died and risen and sent us out to spread the good news. The first time that whole gospel was presented, the first time the Holy Spirit was offered, the first time forgiveness of sins in that context was offered, the first time the whole package, what we know as the gospel was offered, he was, that's in the middle of that. And when he said that, what he was doing was quoting the prophet Joel, who had prophesied many years ago that when the Messiah came, that everyone who called on the name of the Messiah would be saved. His point was that Jesus is the one that we call on. It's Jesus, the only one who can save us. It, Acts 16.31 is a similar verse that I've heard sometimes when we use this, this idea of getting saved. I've even seen it on little gospel tracts where it says, um, Acts 16.31, it says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It doesn't even finish the sentence. The original sentence is in the middle of Acts 16, 29 through 34. It's a story where Paul and Silas had been in prison, and he comes to them and he says, how can I be saved? In the context of the story, it's not even clear that he's really saying, how do I become a Christian? He might even just be saying, how do I keep from getting killed for letting you guys go? Is there any hope for me at all? But they see something deeper in his heart and they respond to that deeper thing. And they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And that very night they shared the word with the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. And once again, we see this pattern where just like in the Great Commission itself, where Jesus says, I, 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 all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you've got a job to do. I'm using that authority to send you. I'm using that authority to empower you as you go. 
One more time from Peter saying basically this same big thing in Acts 4.12. Read this one with me. Again, it's pointing to Jesus. There are things that none of us can do. There are things that we're going to focus today on the things we can do, the things God expects us to do. But there are things that only Jesus can do. And that's what this verse is about. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. In other words, who are you going to call? Not the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Only a few of us even remember what I'm talking about. But who are you going to call? You're going to call Jesus. And when you call Jesus, here's what he's going to say. Ding, ding, you found the one way, the one truth, the one life. You're a winner. You made it. Good job. Now, go into all the... <laughs> he's going to give you a job. And that's, that's the secret of all that. Um, similarly, in Acts 2, 37 through 47, you, you see this first, the end of this sermon that Peter was preaching when he said to call on the name of the Lord and you would be saved. You see what happens and you see that there's this process and not just a process of how to be saved, not just a process of how do you complete the transaction and become a Christian, but complete life change. If you would, I'm just going to read this, straight, this passage straight out of the scriptures. If you would, listen. But listen especially for these things that I'm telling you. You're going to hear that only Jesus can save us. You're going to hear that we're only saved by actually obey, obeying Jesus. And you're also going to see actual life change on the other side of that. Just in this little passage. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Notice for a moment, he, he doesn't even hint that they could save themselves from eternal punishment or from anything that only Jesus could save them from. But they have the choice to turn away from the crookedness in their generation. They have a chance to turn away from that and turn to Jesus so that Jesus can save them. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But calling on His name means total trust in Him. It means total surrender to Him now and forever. To be saved is not so much something that you do as a transaction, some sort of a ticket you buy. It's nothing like that in the scripture. It's total surrender. It's giving your life to Christ. And there are clear ways that we see how it begins. The first couple steps, repentance and baptism and all of that are the first couple steps. But there's also this, it's part of a process. So salvation, biblically speaking, is something we do and keep on doing. 
It's an ongoing process. It's not that we're constantly being saved. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we have to get re-saved. We don't have to get re-baptized. Every day we don't have to wake up and hope that we haven't lost our salvation. I'm not saying that at all. But what Jesus wanted to happen was something that keeps on going long after. It's a lot like some of the images he uses in the scripture. For example, birth. Jesus spoke all the time of birth and transformation. When you're born, you'd have to go back and get reborn, right? That's why it freaked Nicodemus out so much. What? what? You can't do that. You can't go back and be reborn. Jesus said, no, I'm speaking metaphorically here. But here's the point. You don't have to go back and get reborn every day. Every time you go, oh, I, I think I understand a little bit more what life's all about. I better go get reborn again. You don't have to do that. How many of you have been married and at some point along you've been married for, I don't know, a year, two years, three years, four, and you go, oh, wait a second, now I really get what this is about. Does this ever happen? No? Okay. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. Are you with me? And you don't have to go back and get remarried. You don't have to go back and go, oh, I, I had no idea what I was doing back then. I had no clue. I'm so sorry. Let's say those same vows again. Now that we understand them a little better. That's not required. And yet, listen, when you're born, that's the beginning of your life. You're expected to live on the other side of that, right? And when you're married, you're expected to have a marriage. You're supposed to have a family. You're supposed to have a, an experience, a relationship that keeps on going. That's the whole point of the ceremony. That's the whole point of the first steps is what happens on the other side. And in any great story... We've looked at the elements of story several times. We're going to do that one more time. All my story nerds unite. Here we go. Not going to spend a lot of time on it today, but here's one more element of every great story. We've talked about the acts. There has to be an act one, an act two, an act three. We've talked about the, all the different elements there, but here's the one I want to add this morning. In any great story, any story that really captures our heart and imagination, any story that truly leads us back to Jesus, here's something that's going to happen. There's going to be a story arc. There's going to be a character development arc for each of the main characters. The plot of the story is not just going to be this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens, we're done. It's as this happens, every choice that the hero makes, every choice the villain makes, every choice each one of their fellowships make, every choice even the sub-characters make, it shapes them, it changes them. Those, those things that happen to them, those things that they do, they change, they morph. They start out as one kind of a person, they end up as another kind of a person. Those are the great stories. And so is this one. In Act 1, we see that God was preparing the way for Jesus. And toward the end of Act 1, we see that John the Baptist came just as he was predicted and prepared the way right that minute for Jesus. In Act 2, which is basically Jesus' Passion Week, we see people preparing the way for the Lord with a big parade, welcoming Him in. We see all of that happening. And here in Act 3, we're also preparing for His return. And we're also preparing for the Holy Spirit to change us. Everything that happens in Act 3, the choices we make, the things that we do, the things that we do to obey Jesus, the way the spiritual disciplines we practice, the choices we make in relationships. Every single thing we do is shaping us. We all have a character arc. We have something. And this is really God's biggest passion. There are things he wants each one of us to do. There are things he wants us to get done. But much more importantly, he wants us to become more and more like him. 
Much more importantly, he wants to change us from the inside out. Much more importantly, he wants the salvation process to not just make sure we go to heaven when we die, but to change us along the way, to make us like him. And as we reach out, as we try to make disciples of others, we are made more like him in the process. I love this prayer from Psalm 19.14, and I'd love for you to just pray this with me this morning. Let's literally just say this to God. We're going to say it twice. Take our time and just lift it up. And I, I encourage you to just pray this. But this is the kind of prayer that if we really meant this, the Bible is full of these, but if we mean it, if we really mean it and we say it with passion and we mean it and we act on whatever the Holy Spirit says on the other side of that prayer, this stuff changes you. This is not something that you just kind of mutter and go on with your life. This is not something you just kind of go, hey, thanks for saving me and move on. This is the stuff that makes what Jesus did for us in history matter so much. Let's pray this together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's read it one more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Man, if we prayed that every day and then we tried to live that, here's what it would be like. It'd be like marinating. How, how many like to marinate stuff? Anybody? A bunch of you, okay? Some of you don't. Some people just taste-wise, they, they, they prefer just straight-up meat like as it is, maybe some salt and pepper, maybe some ketchup, that's it. Some people really, they have these certain marinades that they swear by, and that's so important. Here's what nobody can really argue about. Marination changes the whole thing, right? You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who marinate meat, a piece of just meat and a piece of marinated meat that's been marinated for hours and hours in something, they, they taste different, they have a different texture, they smell different, they look different, they've become something completely different. And, and, and what we do on a daily basis, when we ask God, we offer him our words, we offer him our actions, we offer him our meditations, we are marinating in God himself. We're marinating in his spirit. We're marinating in his power. And it's changing us along the way. We become something completely different. This is part of where our responsibility is. This is our, what, primarily what we're talking about this morning when we're talking about spiritual growth. This is what we're talking about is that we have to choose to allow that marination to happen. We have to make that choice to daily surrender to keep that happening. That's not what gets us into heaven on the other side. But those daily choices are what actually change us. What actually morph us into something completely different. Psalm 85, 13 says, Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. And in so many ways, we still are preparing the way for the Lord. Excuse me. A couple months ago, we received an incredibly generous gift, and we were able to go to um, California on a vacation. We got to see oh, so many beautiful things, the ocean and a bunch of stuff I was really expecting. Also, uh, Joshua Tree State Park, which I was not expecting. That's an incredible, crazy, weird, awesome, beautiful place. But one of the parts that just blew me away, just in its sheer beauty, and also really inspired me, it's, it's just been kind of just kind of really percolating, marinating, if you will, in my heart ever since, is, is wine country. 
It was really cool that John shared what he shared this morning. I thought that was cool. But man, it's just absolutely beautiful. That whole area, they have done so much of sculpting the land itself, just the way everything works together. And not only that, we were there in late December, early January, and there wasn't any plants growing. There weren't any, um, anything growing. There, you couldn't see anybody out harvesting or anything. But just the order of it all, just the, the symmetry of it all, just the obvious preparation and hard work and love and care and intentionality and strategy that had gone into this. Just as far as you could see, mile after mile, farm after farm, it just, it just went as far, it was incredible. And it was really inspiring because all they're doing is growing grapes. We're building the kingdom of God. We're, we're being transformed daily into the like, likeness of Jesus Christ. And what would happen if we put that kind of intentionality, that kind of strategy, that kind of passion, that kind of relentless preparation into making ourselves available for the Holy Spirit to grow his fruit in our lives? I'll tell you what would happen. Amazing harvest that we can't even imagine. God loves this image, by the way, all the way through the scriptures of producing fruit. He loves all the images of plowing and sowing and weeding and watering, pruning, harvesting, celebrating the harvest. The whole ongoing seasonal process is a big, big deal. And honestly, sometimes we just shut the whole process down. Psalm 14 begins that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God doesn't mean that the fool can make that true. There is a God whether the fool believes it or not, right? And yet, for the fool, there's not going to be a whole lot of marinating going on. There's not going to be a whole lot of changing going on because he, he, he doesn't even acknowledge the power of God. In, in Luke 8, when Jesus told this parable of the sower, this is the same image that he's commanding when he said that some of the seed just fell on rocky ground and it couldn't penetrate at all. In fact, birds came and just took it away. It, it didn't really do any good at all. There was not even a hope for the harvest because of that. And yet most of us are more like the other seeds in that story where the seed that grew among thorns, it grew a little bit. The seed that, that grew in the really fertile ground grew a lot. Most of us have accepted his word, accepted the truth in one way or another. The choice has come with what are we going to do about the rocks? What are we going to do about the thorns? Are we going to get rid of them? How are we going to irrigate? How are we going to plow? How are we going to make our, the soil more fertile and prepare the way for the Spirit to grow His, word, his fruit in our work? Prepare the way for the Spirit to grow His fruit in our lives. Because God expects us to grow and mature as we live our lives in Him. This isn't the only image, but it's one of the clearest and most common throughout the scripture that he uses is the image of growing fruit, growing things, growing vineyards, a lot of vineyards in the scriptures. But this, this is something that he's making clear. He expects us to grow just the way he designed our bodies and our lives. We start out as infants and we end up as adults. It, it, and there's a long process there. And even as adults, we're still growing on the inside, right? And this, this just keeps happening. This is how he just wove everything together. This is kind of how he works. 
Hebrews 5, I, I mentioned just a little bit ago that Hebrews was written to probably a, a really kind of almost an elite group of people that really knew a lot. The references, the, the level of education and everything, there's a lot of reasons we believe that. But here's, here's what the writer said at the end of Hebrews 5, chapter 5. He just kind of says, wait a second, you know what? I, you ought to be teachers by now. Why are we still laying down these foundational truths? Even among some people who are kind of a little bit higher than everybody else on several levels at that moment in time, he's saying, hey, we've got to keep growing here, guys. We've got to always be reaching further. Always be reaching further. God has a purpose in all of the cultivation and the planting, the seeds he plants, the nurturing, the pruning. He expects a harvest. He expects a harvest from everything he does, and he expects us to create a harvest. Here's something else that God knows, though. He knows that we're growing. Listen to the metaphor. This is important. He knows that we're growing in a fallen world. He knows that when he first gets a hold of us, we've got roots dug deep into places we never should have put roots at all. He knows that there are still parasites and bugs and various other diseases and whatever else that are plaguing us, that are sucking the life out of us even as he puts life into it. And he realizes that. And he knows that that's part of the process as well, is we've got to fix those things. Sin, especially intentional sin, unrepentant sin, ongoing intentional sin, it's like a cancer inside of us. And sometimes even the things that are not sin themselves, just things we put all of our energy, all of our emotion, all of our passion, all of our money, all of our time toward instead of God, those also work like a cancer. Cancer is not supposed to be there, but once it's there, it sucks the life out of everything else, takes all the energy and everything. So these spiritual disciplines that we're going to wrap up with this morning, the ideas, the challenges here at the end this morning that I'm going to just remind you of and challenge you again, I need you to see what this is. It's spiritual chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is a terrible thing. It's terrible to watch people you love go through it. It's terrible to, to even imagine what it is or think about it, let alone go through it. I can't imagine how strong all of Some of you have just recently gone through that. I just can't imagine how strong you must be. But here's the idea of chemotherapy. It attacks the whole body, hoping that the stuff that's weakest and doesn't belong will die first. And that's what our trials and temptations are like. That's why in James 1, um, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. We are the body of Christ. We are the tabernacles. We have his power flying through us. When we work together, we are part of the process of saving people. We're part of the process of transforming people. We become part of the process of all the things that God wants us to do. We must never forget that his vision is so much deeper and bigger than just saving people at a moment in time. He wants us to grow. The more we are transformed, the more Jesus, the head of the body, lives his life through us his body. Let me say that one more time. The more we are transformed, the more Jesus, the head, can live his life through us, his body. So what does spiritual growth look like? I'm pretty sure you've heard this before, but I, I, I need you to hear it one more time because we've all got to keep growing. 
No matter how much you've grown, how much fruit you've produced in your life already, how much we collectively have as a church, Jesus, this is an ongoing process that Jesus needs us to constantly be digging deeper into. And we have a lot of choices about where we put our roots. We have a lot of choices about how deep we put them. And all the spiritual disciplines, praying, studying, worshiping, giving, serving, all of these matter. And the ones we do together matter exponentially. It's just the way he set it up. The stuff that we do like fellowship and corporate worship, corporate communion, corporate Bible study, small group Bible study, all of the things when we serve together, these are the things that absolutely just rocket the growth. And when we separate ourselves and when we kind of say, well, you know, I've made some progress. I think I can coast a little. That's not just when we stop making progress. That's when we actually start dying. We have choices. Each one of us has choices in those areas. We have the choice about how much we're going to pursue those things that prepare the way for him. We have a lot of choices in what we weed out of our lives. We have a lot of choices about what we say, hey, you know what, this is sin and I've just got to get rid of it. We have a lot of choices where we say, you know what, I don't think this is wrong at all, but this takes so much of me that I don't have enough time for Jesus and all the stuff Jesus is telling me to do. This has to go too. Eventually, it literally becomes what Paul said when he said, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Here's one more image for you. As we wrap up this morning, I, I, I think the, the growing and all of those things really matter. I think they, they, they're so clear. But here's one more God put into nature that I think is really awesome. Pretend we're the caterpillars and we'd like to be a butterfly. There's absolutely nothing we can do to make that happen. We cannot strain hard enough. We cannot wish hard enough. We cannot pray hard enough. There's nothing we can do to become a butterfly. Just, I'm a butterfly. It's not going to happen. That's, that represents to me the way only Jesus can save us. It's only God's design that makes this miracle happen. And it's only Jesus who can actually change a caterpillar into a butterfly. But here's, here's where it comes back to us. You know what a caterpillar has to do? Its whole life, its whole short little life, before it goes through that big transformation, it's got to do some specific thing. It's got to make sure that it fills itself constantly with all the right stuff. If it doesn't eat enough, if it doesn't eat the right stuff, it doesn't grow and it can't turn into a butterfly. The design is there, but it still won't happen if the caterpillar doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The caterpillar also has to stay out of dangerous places. It has to make sure it gets to all the right places and all the places that keep it not only safe, but provide food and sustenance and help it to grow and also eventually get to the place where it can hang that little chrysalis and it's going to be a safe and stable place while the transformation happens. The, the caterpillar has to attach itself firmly to something that he knows is stable and real. And a caterpillar has to surround and protect itself with the right stuff. This is a lot like the spiritual things that we have to do, the way that we grow, the choices that we're responsible for making so that God can make the actual change happen in our lives. We've got to get serious about that. So here's some questions I'd love for you to ask yourself this morning. And whatever God lays on your heart, that's also the altar call this morning. These are the, this is the challenge. This is what I'm hoping you're going to do. First of all, ask yourself, how will you dig deeper and connect more? 
How will you dig your roots deeper? How will you connect more with not only God, but also God's people? What kind of, uh, for example, just what you're, you're here this morning, making Sunday morning a higher priority, making sure that you're here, maybe also getting into Sunday school or, and or a couple of other small groups, Bible studies or things, people that keep you accountable, people that keep you growing, people that challenge you, people that encourage you. If, if, you're a ch- if you've got children, they really need to be with the children's ministry uh, and, and being growing somehow through that. If you've got teenagers, they really need to be doing all the awesome stuff that our teens do, as well as connecting with the whole congregation. We, we've got to be serving. You've got to be giving. All of these things are things that God expects of all of us, but you make those choices. You make those choices. Those are the choices he's expecting on the other side of him saving you. Those are the choices. Those are the character arc changes that he expects on the other side of the amazing plot that he wrote in advance. So what are you going to do to dig deeper and connect more? And what are you going to get rid of? What are you going to allow God himself to prune away? If you've got any relationship in your life that's based on sin, whether that's a lie, lust, revenge, anything at all. It's going to absolutely destroy all the chances that you have still available to you when you repent, but right this minute, that's going to shut down all that transformation in your heart that could be happening. You've got to get rid of it. Same with any addictions, anything that you're addicted to at all. If that's coming between you and God, if that's becoming an idol, you've got to figure out. If you've got to ask for help, you've got to do whatever it takes to break free. You can't change yourself, but you can make that choice to say, I, I, I need help changing this. And you can break free. Maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's just doubt. Whatever it is that's holding you back, that's keeping you from actually becoming more and more like Jesus every day and getting his purposes done in earth more than ever before every single day. Whatever's holding you back, you've got to, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? To change that. Your response, I hope, is the next line. If anybody's been looking at the bulletin insert, it's the last line on there. But it says, to grow and mature, I will. I'd love for you to write something down. I'd love for you to at least take this all home and pray and think about it and say, God, this is what I'm going to do. The band is going to come and, and lead us in one more song. And as you do, the, as, as they come and as, as they lead us in this song, I need you to listen to this. Everything we've talked about today is what it means to surrender to God's ultimate authority. Are you going to call on his name? Are you going to call on his name to be saved? He's the only one. Him and his plan, his purposes for your life. That's the only thing that can save you. That's the only thing. But maybe you've sort of called on his name. Maybe you've done it in the past and you've been faithful in the past. Maybe there's just, you're being faithful, but you're, you sense him asking something more. Then respond. Respond. Do what he tells you to do this morning as we stand and sing.